right, if you guys have your Bibles, turn with me to 2 Chronicles 29. We have uh, been in this kind of series in this section of the Bible, and uh, this is probably, I think this is our third week kind of in this place. And uh, one of the things that we really believe is from the Lord is um, that he's speaking to us individually, but also as a church um, through these passages. So I'm going to read through um, and recap a little bit what we had talked about. So I'm going to start with verse 1, Hezekiah 29, verse 1. It says, Hezekiah became king when he was 25 years old, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abijah and the daughter of Zechariah. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, according to all that his father David had done. Praise God. Because if you guys read through Chronicles and Kings, you guys know that every other like little chapter, you're like, oh, are they going to follow God? Okay, good. Are they not going to follow God? Oh, and then you can, it's this roller coaster of emotion, right? As you're reading through the kings of the Israel and, and the things that they are doing, the things, you know, and you get disappointed and why aren't they following God? And oh, here we are a king that is doing right in the sight of the Lord. Praise God. In the first year of his reign, in the first month, he opened the doors of the house of the Lord and repaired them. Then he brought in the priests and the Levites and gathered them in the east square and said to them, Hear me, Levites, now sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers and carry out the rubbish from the holy place. For our fathers have trespassed and done evil in the eyes of the Lord our God, and they have forsaken him. They've turned their faces away from the dwelling place of the Lord and turned their backs on him. They have shut up the doors of the vestibule, put out the lamps, and have not burned incenses or offered burnt offerings in the holy place to the God of Israel. I'm going to stop right there. So give you a little bit of a background if you have not been with us the last couple of weeks. The king before Hezekiah, Hezekiah's father was King Ahaz. And all throughout his reign, you read that King Ahaz had oncoming war from the Assyrians. And so King Ahaz did not follow the Lord. He did everything opposite of doing what was right by creating false idols, false gods throughout the land. He shut up the temple, closed the doors, said there was no, no more worship to the God of Israel, but let's try all of these other gods because it seems like it's working for everybody else. You guys know what I mean? Sometimes you look at other people's circumstances like, oh, it's, it's working for everyone else, right? And so that's kind of where he was at. He was thinking, man, it's working for everyone else. And so it must not be working for us. Let's shut the temple. Let's go after all these other gods. Let's try it that way. And it says that because he was distressed, Ahaz turned more and more away from God. And in places of stress, that can be the temptation. That in, in times and places where we feel like things in life are kind of caving in, we can have the temptation of turning away from God rather than turning to God right? And so you see throughout his reign, it doesn't get any better. He uh, continues to fight and he continues to lose. And then King Hezekiah, his son, comes into reign. And this is what he does first. And I think that's very important because there was probably a lot of things that he could have done, a lot of civil issues that he could have addressed, a lot of plans, 
a lot of, you know, cleaning of his own house, setting up his reign. But it says that on the first, in the first, let me read this correctly, in the first year of his reign, in the first month. Actually, later in the chapter, you'll read that on the first day, he began to tell people to sanctify themselves, open the doors to the temple, clean out the rubbish, and get ready to worship the true God. And that's what Hezekiah did. And you'll, and you'll read that throughout the 29th and the 30th chapter. But this is what I want us to focus on today. We're going to be talking about showbread, lamps, incense, and sanctification. And so in the temple, you'll see that, man, there was a ton of rubbish. King Ahaz, when he gave away all the stuff in the temple away, the doors were closed. There was probably dust. The lamps weren't lit. There weren't showbread anywhere. And when you look at the temple, you have the place of the holy, and then you have the holy of holies. And the place of the holy place, the holy place has the showbread, the lamp, and the incense. Right outside the holy place is the altar of sacrifice. And then in the holy of holies was the Ark of the Covenant. And that's where God's presence, his manifest presence, dwelled. And I mean, like, literally. You know, sometimes we can think, man, the Bible is really figurative. Um, that can be sometimes. But, but there are various points in the Bible where we see this is literal. His literal presence was in the holy of holies. Do you guys remember Moses? when he had the burning bush moment and he came upon the burning bush he saw it and God told him um you need to take off your sandals because this place is holy right and so Moses takes off his sandals and then God says don't come any closer why because God is a holy God and when I mean by holy I mean all pure all powerful right? And when we think about that, you think about something, how can something be good and pure and powerful, but all also destructive? How can that be the same? And you think about our sun, like in the sky. Yeah, whew, I just wanted to clarify. Not our sun, the sun in the sky. And you think about that sun provides life, provides light. It's pure, it's powerful, but you get close enough, and it's destructive, right? That is the purity of God, that he is holy, because he is all pure, all powerful. And if you come near him, and there is any imperfection, any impurity, any sin in you, it will destroy you. And so that's why God told Moses, don't come any closer. Because Moses wasn't a priest, right? He didn't go through the cleansing rituals to be in the presence of God. But God needed to speak to him. And so he said, don't come any closer. That's good enough. But we look at it in the temple and we see, man, that's why God gave the book of Leviticus to his people. Because all throughout Leviticus, you see that it is a book to tell people, how do you become ritually clean so that you can worship him in the temple? So that you can be close enough where his purity and power will not destroy you. How do you become pure? And so that's why the temple is laid out the way it is. The animal sacrifice before you even enter in. The washing before you even enter in. And then when you enter in, then there's the light, there's the showbread, and there's the incense. And that is as far as most people can go. Once a year, the high priest 
will be able to go through a ritual cleansing and he actually gets to walk into the holy of holies and stand before the very presence of God. But it's not for everyone. Not everybody gets to do that, which is kind of sad when you think about it, right? But that's the way it was because we are not clean, right? Sin. That when you look at um, the, the law in the Old Testament, you see that anytime anyone touches any impurity, you just even touch in the presence of death, blood, sickness, disease, you can't enter into the temple until you go through a ritual cleaning. And so that's why Hezekiah, he comes and he begins to reign and he realized, man, our land is filled with unclean people. Who can come into the temple? Who can come and worship the Lord? Who? And so the very first thing he says, he gathered the Levites and the priests, and he said, hear me now, Levites, sanctify yourselves. Sanctify the house of the Lord God of your fathers. Carry out the rubbish from the holy place. Because the people from our past, they've shut up the doors. They haven't put out, they've put out the lamps. They have not burned incense and they have not offered burnt offerings. The showbread, every Sabbath day, the priests are supposed to come, and they're supposed to uh, bake 12 loaves of wheat bread, and they're supposed to present it on the table before the Lord as a, an offering to God. The lamps, they're supposed to um, tend to it day and night. In the morning and also in the evening, they're supposed to trim it so that it's continually burning. It never stops burning. It says in Exodus, it says, Aaron shall burn fragrant incense on it. He shall burn it every morning when he trims the lamps. When Aaron trims the lamps at twilight, he should burn incense. There should be perpetual incense before the Lord throughout your generations. So there is the lamp burning that happens day and night. And then every time they light the lamps, they, they trim the lamps, they also burn incense. And then throughout the Bible, you see that incense is often associated with prayer. Just like symbolically, the incense smoke goes up into heaven. As we pray, our prayers go up into heaven. David says in Psalm, it says, may my prayer be set before you like incense. In Revelations, it says, in his vision of heaven, John saw that the elders around the throne were holding golden bulls full of incense, which are the prayers of God's people. Isn't that amazing? That our prayers go up into heaven and there's this beautiful picture of them being gathered, not wasted away, not thrown away, but gathered before the Lord. And so we see this and the, actually the altar of incense is placed right before you enter into the Holy of Holies. It's actually the place that is as close as you can get before you enter into the Holy of Holies. Which I'm saying is, it's actually the closest that any of the, the, the priests, not the high priest, the priests, can be as close, and it's through prayer. The closest that we can be in the presence of God is through prayer. And so all of these things in the temple are placed strategically. The lampstand is on one side. The showbread is right across from the other. And we look through, and Hezekiah, when he came into reign, he saw that there was all of these 
things that were happening in his kingdom and in his land. And he said, the first thing we need to do is we need to sanctify ourselves. And then we need to sanctify the temple. And we need to open the doors and clear out the rubbish. And so this is what we believe. We believe that God has called the rock and the people of the rock to sanctify ourselves. To be in a place where we are pure before God. But this is the good news. Because in the Old Testament, there was only one way that they could be pure. And they had to go through all of these things. They had to clean. They had to sacrifice. They had to light the lamps. They had to bake the bread. They had to burn the incense. They had to go out of the town, come into the town. They had to, you know, burn their clothes. And there were all these rules. If you read the book of Leviticus, you'll see, man, there is a rule for almost anything. Really. I read it and I get overwhelmed. How do they remember? How can they possibly get it right? And that was the point, that they couldn't. Then thousands of years later, you read that Jesus comes. And what used to be where you had to be pure before you entered into the temple what happened was purity came out of the temple and his name was Jesus. And what happened was Jesus came and he fulfilled every single one of those aspects of the law. He was the sacrificial lamb of God. He's the one that waters us. He's the one that is the light of the world. He is the bread of life and he continually intercedes for us on our behalf before God. And you look at it and you see that all the aspects of the temple were fulfilled by Jesus himself. So what does it mean to sanctify yourself? I don't mean to go and cleanse yourself in a bath, burn incense, or bake God some bread. Sanctifying ourselves today means just go to Jesus. Go to Jesus continually. In every aspect that we see, Jesus is the bread of life. Are you in the word? We come to Jesus in prayer as he intercedes for us. Are you in prayer? He is the light of the world. Are we coming before him to shine light upon us so that we can be light as well? Because today we are the temple of God. And so when it says, sanctify yourselves, that is what it means. It doesn't mean to go back into the Old Testament and feel like you have to do all of these things. You cannot do enough to do right or be enough to be right. There's only one way, and it's Jesus. And so when it says, sanctify yourselves, that's all it says. Come with your baggage, come with your dirt, come with your sinfulness, come with your crazy, and go to Jesus. And allow Jesus to bring you into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of God. Sanctify yourself. Open the doors. Is the door of your heart closed? Has the door of the place of worship in your life, is it collecting dust? Is there rubbish in it? Last week we talked about, man, when there's rubbish, I don't know about you guys, but if there's rubbish in an area like my work area, I have a hard time concentrating. Because I'll look at it and be like, oh, there's like all these things, I gotta, I gotta do that, and then there's that pile, and I gotta do that, and then, oh man, I, I forgot about this, and there's this project too, and 
I can't just walk into a room, even if I had intentions of what I was going to go after. Man, I get distracted, right? When things aren't clean and in their rightful place, I get distracted. I get overwhelmed, actually. Ask Scott, if our house is a mess, I get overwhelmed, right? I just start thinking, like, I just, man, things got to be put back into place, Because this is the desire. I want to be able to walk into a room and be able to get right to what I need to do. God wants us to be able to walk in his presence, get the rubbish out, confess sin, repent, tell God what's happening, and then get to that place where we start doing some business, right? We start communing with God. We start having a feast with the Lord. You guys know that whenever Jesus talks about in the New Testament, when he says to, to take bread and wine and, and to do communion in remembrance of him. Do you know there's a wrong way to do communion? The Bible says that if you have something wrong against your brother, right, what do you do? You don't just take communion and be like, all right, God, well, in, in between you and I, no, it says, no, no, no. You put down the bread and wine and you go take care of some stuff right? And it's the same thing when God says, hey, take out the rubble, the rubbish in the temple. That means you got to go and you bet, what is in there that I need to repent of? What is in there that I need to bring forgiveness and, and ask for forgiveness? What is in there that I need to let go of and stop holding on to? God's saying that there is rubbish in our hearts that's holding us back. There is no clarity. There's confusion. We walk into a room and we don't even know what we're going after. And he's saying, man, Sanctify yourself. Go before Jesus. Clear out the rubbish, right? And then the lamp, the bread, and the incense. The bread and the light kind of go hand in hand. As we commune with Jesus and we're digging into the word of God, he is the bread of life. The light actually also shines back at us, enlightening the dark areas of our heart. And then I shared this a couple weeks ago, and I said, do you guys remember back then when they used to build homes? There was no electricity. So they used to build homes where the outside of the window was a lot wider than the inside of the window. Does that make sense? No. The, so the outside, it's just a hole. That's really what it is. It's just a hole. And the walls of people's homes were thick. And so the outside of the windows were wider. And as the window came into the house, it actually narrowed within the wall so that the light that came in from the outside could be directed into a specific room. And it was just more direct. Does that make sense? In the temple, it was opposite. The window on the inside of the temple was a lot wider than the window that was on the outside of the temple because they believe that the light on the inside needs to shine outwards. And that reflects us. That when we come and we eat and commune and feast with Jesus, when we, when we meditate and chew <clears throat> on his word and the light reflects in us, guess what? The light goes out of us right? The light that is shining in us should be more powerful than the light that is out in the world. Some of us in here, I think, um, I've heard of this idea that we need to, to 
withhold or, or we look at darkness and we kind of shrink away from it. Or, and, and this is what I think. Man, there's a lot more in us. There's a lot more with us than they are with them. Right? There, there is nothing that we need to be afraid of. There is no darkness that can't be exposed by the light of Jesus Christ. There is no love or hope that is not going to be enough in the place of hopelessness and lovelessness, right? There is nothing that we, there, we have everything that the world needs. And so rather than looking in and saying, oh man, I don't know if there's enough in the temple. I don't know if I have enough in me. I don't know what kind of difference I will make. Have you guys ever thought those thoughts before? We have to go back and realize, man, we are the temple of God. We have the light shining in us. We have the presence of God that dwells right here, and he calls us to shine outwards. Amen? And so sanctify yourself. Go before Jesus. You know, they had the temple right in the midst of the people, and they have the Israelites living right around the temple. But unless you go in the temple, you're just living around the temple, which means that we can live around the presence of God and never once be touched by God until we actually go into the temple, take out the rubbish, and do the work and go before Jesus. Sometimes I think I've heard people say, man, um, I heard the story actually one time this pastor said, man, there's nothing happening in my city. Like, oh, I like, I hate living there because there's nothing happening in my city. And this other pastor said to him, you live there. You should be happening to the city. Right? It goes to show that we can live right in the presence of God, but not be in the presence of God. If there are things in your life you're feeling like, man, it is not happening. Things are not happening in my life. I urge you to go in the temple, to go before Jesus, to sanctify yourself, to light that light that may have blown and dimmed, to eat the showbread before the Lord, the word of life. This is what, um, as I was studying, here are some of the things that I felt like the Lord was telling us. I believe that right now at The Rock, we're in the midst of a divine reset. A divine reset. That means that the things that God had planned for us all the way from the beginning, the intentions of his heart for our church, he said, it's going to be a divine reset. That means that the things in his heart are about to happen. If we would be a people that would sanctify ourselves, if we would be a people that go before Jesus and read his word, if we would be a people that would burn incense, which means to pray and worship God and lift up our words to God and allow Jesus to continue to intercede on our behalf and we, we partner with him in the right words, if we would be people that would dedicate ourselves to clean out the rubbish of our schedule, the rubbish of distractions, the rubbish of bitterness 
and anger and some of these things that are in our hearts, if we would be a people that would be like the people of Hezekiah and the Levites and priests. This is what he says, and I shared this last week briefly. In chapter 30, verse 26, there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there have been nothing like this. And that's what I believe. I believe we're entering into a place where we've seen God do mighty, powerful works at the rock and through the rock. But he's not done yet. Actually, what's more is he wants to do things that have, been never, that have never been seen before. And in us individually, but us collectively as well. I was telling Scott that I really feel like um, we are a four-square church. And all that means is that our founder, Amy Simple McPherson, uh, she was, um, uh, she at that time felt like the gospel wasn't preached fully. And so she decided that, man, there were four truths that she wanted to make sure that everyone knew. And it was that Jesus is our savior. Jesus is our baptizer. Jesus is our healer. And Jesus is our soon and coming king. And that's just all that means. Four squares. We are a four square gospel, four square denomination. I bring that up because I believe this. Amy Simple, if you guys didn't, have never heard of her, look her up. But she had an amazing ministry in the L.A. area, Angeles Temple, where people, ambulances, would stop by her church before they went to the hospital because healings were taking place. Miracles were taking place. Let me tell you, the same God that was back then is the same God that we serve now. And here in Kalamazoo, I'm telling you right now, here in Kalamazoo, we are going to see things that have never happened before. If we would be a people that would sanctify ourselves and go before Jesus. Not because we're going to be so great, but because the people of Kalamazoo need to know that there is a real God who cares about their real needs. Amen? So I think this is the time for us to press forward and not to shy back. I believe that this is a time for us to go before the Lord and say, what is my part? What can I do? How do I impact those around me on campus, at work, in my neighborhood, right? That we start living and seeing through the eyes of the Lord who is around me, what am I called to, what is my impact, what God have you called me to do? And I believe that a year from now, we're going to be absolutely amazed by what God is doing. Amen? Amen.